Hello and welcome to the Celebration Church podcast. I'm so glad you're here. In just a moment, we're going to jump into a message from Pastor Roger. But before we do, I want to encourage you, connect with us online. Whether that's following us on social media, on Facebook and Instagram, or it's subscribing to our YouTube page or this podcast, do it. We want to stay connected. And another great way you can connect with us is be our guest on a Sunday morning service. If you're here locally, come on out. We want to meet you and connect with you, worship with you. We'd really enjoy that. But without further ado, let's jump into this message from Pastor Roger. everybody good to see you my my phone died on me I use my phone for my timer so you don't leave on me but it's on now my phone's on so I'll be on time so you can rest assured we won't go over can't be uh, getting into people's day so here we go um we have uh an unusual situation today you probably have your kids sitting in your laps come on somebody isn't that yeah so uh, today is just a little unusual. I'm sure if you have children, you already know about it. If you don't have kids, then I'm going to explain. I'm going to explain to you. Um, just our, mo- a large group of our um, volunteers and our team with kids are unable to serve. Most of them are dealing with sickness. Some of them are dealing with sickness. Um, not a spread within the church. It's just everybody right now is sick. I don't know if you noticed that at work. Um, and so what we've done is we've just said, you know what? We're not going to have kids ministry right now. We're just going to pause it for the Sunday and see what happens next week. And last time we did this, um, we actually had someone light us up on social media. They're like, they just went after us like, oh, you don't love kids. All this no, 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 no. What it is is this. We value you more than what you do here. And we're never going to guilt somebody into serving when they need to just stay home. You know what I'm saying? Even if you're healthy enough to be here but you're still sick, stay home. Get better. Um, that's just part of our culture here. We're, we're not a church that's going to pressure people to serve. Uh, I would rather give you enough space and a margin so that you can just enjoy serving and being a part of the team uh, than, than make people feel like they just have to, like, you know what I mean? <clears throat> so I, I just wanted to throw that out there. Uh, so you know. So this t- this weekend or tonight, actually, at seven o'clock, right here in the church, we're doing a shortened time of prayer and worship. It'll be quite short, but uh, we're going to end our fast with uh, prayer, worship, and communion. So we'd love to have you out for that. Going to be a good time, and probably about forty-five minutes, so quite short, um, because there are some people that are ready to go eat. You know what I'm saying? And uh, I was talking to one person, they've, they've been fasting like no food the whole time, and they told me, they said, hey, uh, I'm, I'm ready to eat after prayer and, night, after prayer and worship, I'm ready to go eat. So wherever you want to go, let's go. Like if you want to go to Buffalo Wild Wings, let's do it. <laughs> no, don't, let's not do that, right? Don't break your fast on Buffalo Wild Wings. It sound, as amazing as it sounds, it's not that good of an idea. So... Um, just here's a tip, if you are someone that, that is fasting food, and maybe, maybe you've already fasted in a couple times or whatever, 
when you break a food fast, you want to break it on something like steamed vegetables or like a, a vegetable broth, something really simple to, to digest. You don't want to have like complicated foods because your body has actually uh, stopped producing the enzymes to break down the food properly. And it's just not going to be a great experience if you just go all in on a steak, okay? And the same principle applies to whatever it is you fasted. So if you fasted food, you want to be very gentle in bringing food back into your life. If you fasted social media, I would encourage you not to just go re-download all your apps and go nuts, you know what I'm saying? Instead, this may be a fantastic time for you to go through the list of contacts or uh, friends, whatever you call them on your group of apps, like whatever it is that's feeding into your social media life, this may be a fantastic time to revisit that. Maybe unfollow some things, let some things drop off, and, and come back in slowly. Is that all right? After a fast is um, time you need to keep, be aware, you need to be alert. So um, the scripture says that when Jesus fasted for 40 days, it says this, and after he had fasted, Satan came and tempted him. He didn't tempt him during the fast. That's kind of the, the thought. Like he's out fasting for 40 days and Satan takes 40 days to tempt him three times. No, that's not what happens. He fasts and then is tempted, okay? So during a fast, you're going to have kind of a more heightened focus. You're going to be kind of thinking about the things of God. You've created margin for the Lord to be a part of your life. And when we break the fast is often when those temptations will revisit. Okay, so especially if you've experienced some victory in an area of your life during the past 21 days, anticipate that in the next week, you will be tempted in that same area. Okay, so whoever needs to know that that temptation is coming, let them know. Let them know so they can check on you, so they can be part of your life. Is that all right? Just some real practical, real practical stuff. All right, here we go. So, um... Oh, also groups. Uh, they, they announced it, but I just want to say groups, the group's calendar or the group's catalog, rather, is available online. You need to be part of groups. And I think people come to church and they're like, why would I do something beyond just a Sunday service? Like, why would I get involved in a group that seems cliche? It's not cliche. What it is is this. God has really blessed this church with a lot of growth recently. Um, he's really been blessing in, in quite a lot of ways. But because of the growth, it's not small church anymore. It's becoming a bigger church. And what that means is you've got to be intentional if you want to know people. Right? You've, you've, got to, you've got to say, I'm going to take a step to be a part of the life of the church. Sunday's great. This is a great time. But it's really not the life of the church. The life of the church is in small gatherings, typically in people's homes. In fact, in the book of Acts, it says they, their rhythm was they went from temple, they went to the temple, and then they went house to house. It was not house church or big church. It was temple and house to house. It was both, both types. And I want to encourage you, like, get, get into a group. Get involved in some other people's lives. There's, that, that's the place where you're going to find growth. That's the place where you're going to find other people that know you. It's going to be the place where you're going to find other people that can pray for you, that can encourage you, that can be a part of your life, that can uh, maybe people you can invest your life into. It's going to be in groups. Um, just over the years, 
pastoring, I've discovered that when someone leaves the church because they didn't know anybody, I've been coming for two years and I didn't know anybody yet. Um, I, I've, I've been coming and, and something, something happened and I, I'm upset and so I'm leaving because nobody, nobody really knew me. I'm just telling you from practical experience, most of the time, not all the time, most of the time, that person wasn't in groups. They weren't involved. They say nobody knew me, but we were creating opportunities. And you've got to take advantage of those opportunities. Come on. All right. I love it when you do stuff like that. It's so much fun. So much fun. All right. So we're wrapping up our collection of series, our collection of messages on the idea of pursuing God. And um, I'm really excited about next month, but you have to wait for next week to find out what next month is. But uh, as, we, as we wrap it up, I want to revisit this idea of, um, of pursuit. And I want to talk about uh, a family in Scripture that seems to create an environment that Jesus revisits several times. The way they pursue him is actually by creating a place he likes to go. And um, just to give some context, this is one of the places we find them. It says, uh, now as they went on their way, this is, um, do we have the verse? Oh, Luke, okay, Luke 10. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. The King James Version of the Bible would say it like this, a certain village. Something I've been emphasizing is you've got to have things that are for you, they're certain. It's a specific spot for you. For someone else, it may be just a general thing, but for you, it's specific. Um, if you want to actually pray, you need a specific place you pray. Right? If you, if you want a church you need to be a part of, then you need a church, like a specific church. Uh, don't get caught up in the, in the floating around thing with, without ever letting somebody be part of your life to create accountability, to create real community. Okay? And a, a woman named Martha welcomed her, him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teachings. But Martha was distracted with much serving. So she had a house full of people and she's, uh, she's being Betty Homemaker. So she's taking care of every, everybody. She's making sure they all have stuff. She reminds me of my sister on Thanksgiving Day. Like just, just making sure everybody's good. Making sure everybody's ready. You know what I'm saying? Like everybody's got what they need. But Martha was distracted with much serving and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell, then t tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her and said, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and you're troubled about many things. You've got lots of responsibilities. You're doing a great job. You've got, you got all kinds of stuff. But one thing is necessary. And Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. I think this verse is often misused by people with good intentions to, to make a dichotomy between serving God and sitting at the feet of Jesus. These two are not exclusive. They're not, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a dumb dichotomy is what it is. It's not a real dichotomy. They are, they are things that actually go together. But what Jesus is pointing out is, 
we can be so consumed with the busyness of life that we forget that we have great purpose and agenda inside of our lives. So busy with the doing of life that we don't experience the being of life. So Martha is busy, and Mary says, I'm going to take this moment with Jesus, and I'm just going to press pause on all the things I need to get done, and I'm going to enjoy the presence of the Lord. This idea of just being with Jesus, just enjoying his presence, is, is something that's been a part of the church for a long time. In fact, the Westminster Catechism says it like this, that the chief aim of man is to give God glory and to enjoy him forever. And that's what Mary's doing. She's saying, I'm, I'm going to just embrace this moment with Jesus. Lots of stuff to get done, but, but I'm just going to sit at his feet. I, I want to tell somebody today that it is important that you find places in your life that you can press pause and slow down and just be with Jesus. For me, there's, there's a, a ritual or a rhythm that I have that, that I use to tell myself it's time to slow down. I have a candle in my office, and when I light the candle, I'm telling myself, you need to be present right now with what's going on in the office. I'm, I'm a distracted person. I'm always looking for a distraction. But when I light the candle, I'm, saying, I'm just saying, I'm going to be present right now, like... I'm going to be present to what the Lord's speaking to me, what I'm, what I'm reading out of his word. I'm going to be here. Maybe you're a mom, and so for you, like that, that looks like going in the bathroom and locking the door, you know? And, and then they start banging on the door, like, Mom, Mom, I got to go to the bathroom. Like there's, there's actually no, no quiet. There's no rest, right? There's no rest for the weary. But you've got to create places in your life that create margin, that create space, so that you can be with Jesus, not just do things that are good, but actually remaining with Jesus. And the reason why you've got to spend time with Jesus is that when you've been with Jesus, it affects you. In fact, I'll say it like this, where you've been affects how you speak. Have you ever talked to somebody and they've got this, just a peculiar drawl to their voice? They've just got a, an accent. They've just got something unique. You can, you can hear it, but you can't quite place it. It's because where they've been affects how they speak. I'll say it like this. The company you keep uh, will affect how you feel. It'll affect how you view your future and how you view the world around you. It's, it's important that we slow down in life and spend time with the one that we want to influence us. And so there's this family that Jesus keeps going to this, this house. It's in, it's in a place called Bethany. It's, it's only about three kilometers away from Jerusalem. It's just, it's on the other side. So like there's the Mount of Olives where, where Jesus was praying on his last night. And, and just on the, Mount of Olives is in the middle. And Bethany's here, the Mount of Olives is here, and Jerusalem is here. It's, it's, it's right in the, the area where he's, where he's living, where he's doing ministry. And, and Jesus keeps going 
back up onto the hill to go spend time with these people. And we're about to discover what it is that they do that creates an atmosphere that attracts Jesus. What do they do that creates this, this opportunity to pursue the presence of God? In John chapter 12, it says it like this, that six days before Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was. Lazarus is the brother of those two girls. He's a man that Jesus raised from the dead. Uh, it says it, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. I was trying to impress you with my Bible knowledge. So they gave a dinner to him there, and Martha served. Again, see, Martha, she's just always serving. Not a bad thing, not at all. It is part of the Christian life. And Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. And so when it says, when you see them eating in the first century, when you, when you read in the Bible about them eating, it usually says they're reclining, which, that's me. Uh, they're usually reclining, which, which to us seems strange, but here's why. In first century Israel, they did not have tables. In, in fact, they ate much more like a Bedouin would eat now, which is there's a, a rug on the floor, a nice clean rug on the floor, and everyone lays down around the rug with their left arm down, propping them up, and they eat with their right arm, right? So they're all, they're all that way you can fit a whole bunch of people around one table. Like the Last Supper was not a big, long, rectangular table. It was 13 dudes all crowded around a, a blanket, all leaning on one side, eating from the same plates. This is why Jesus and Judas are able to put their hand in the same food at the exact same time. They're, they're in a circle around a... So this is what's going on. <clears throat> there was Bible nerd for you. Okay. And Martha serving him. And Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard, and she anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her, or with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. The Bible says she's taking a pound of, of ointment. It's a pound of some sort of a perfume that, that she takes out. It says it's a nard, which means it's, it's, it's a spike nard. This is, an, uh, this is a perfume that comes from flowers that only grow in the Himalaya. They don't grow in Israel. This is not some perfume that she ground down in her own home. This is something she purchased from someone that is, is traveling, like a traveling merchant coming back from the Himalayas. She, she buys a pound worth of oil, of an essential oil, of pure oil. In today's money, it would be equivalent to about $30,000. Somebody's like, that's a lot of money in the makeup drawer. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's, that's a lot of money. And so she spent all this money, and when Jesus is, is laying down with the other people eating around the table, she comes up behind him and breaks open this very valuable perfume and begins to pour it on the feet of Jesus. And then maybe in an effort to somehow not waste all of it. She takes her hair and starts rubbing it like, I'm going to get some of this as conditioner. You know, she's, she's rubbing 
his feet, which sounds so weird to me. It sounds so crazy to me that she would take something of so much valuable, so much value, and she would just pour it on the feet of Jesus and then get all weird and do the hair thing. Like, just so you know, this is not like something we do as a church. Like, we don't do watch night services where we wash each other's feet with hair. Like, that's, (laughs) we're not doing that. But inside of me, there's this difficulty with the whole story. I struggle with this story, and here's why. Because I'm the guy, when I eat my food, I eat everything on my plate. And then I eat everything on your plate if you don't finish it. Like, like that's just, it's how I was raised. It's like, my parents had started a business, and during the infancy of that business, we didn't have a lot of money. And I, and I just learned that if 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 it was on the plate, it better get eaten now. Like they're, they're, the cupboards aren't full. Like my parents did well, but like in the investment of, of the business, it was, it was struggle. It was struggle. And so it seared something in me that does not like to waste things. Like, it, like in the office here at the church, like for our notes, when I'm writing notes down or whatever, I, I like take old pieces of paper, cut them in half, and use the other side of a used piece of paper. You know what I'm saying? Like, because I, I, I don't want to waste things. It drives me nuts every single day. Like at least two or three times a week, I'll come home in the afternoon. And when I walk in the house, there just glowing, sitting on the counter is a half full jug of warm milk. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, like those kids, I love them. They just had breakfast and they left the milk sitting. Does anybody else's kids do this? Like, it's just my kids. Mine are the only ones that leave milk out. Like, you guys are like, ah. Drives me nuts because I'm like, we just wasted. Like, milk is expensive. We just wasted all that milk. Or, or you see the, the cereal box still all, like, it's not closed up or nothing. It's wide open, stale Fruit Loops sitting on the counter. I'm like, come on, people. We can't be wasting this stuff. Can't be wasting it. And this is what I struggle with when I hear this story. But it's the very fact that she is the type of person that when she had an opportunity to serve, she wasted the moment and just sat at Jesus' feet. And she's the type of person that even in this moment where she had something of great value, instead of leveraging it to accomplish some great thing, she wastes it on the feet of Jesus. And I look at myself, and I think there's this this fine line, isn't there, between being frugal and being stingy. Like, like the truth is, I'm often juggling that line of, of trying to keep things under control, but not be a stingy person. And, and what draws Jesus to this room is someone in a family that is very willing to waste things on Jesus. The Bible says that the room is filled with an aroma when she does this. Like, yeah, she just put a pound of perfume on Jesus' feet. Has anybody, she's that lady, you know what I'm saying? Like, she's, a, she's that one. Like, she, she inherited the perfume department of a Kmart. She's like, ah! Like, she's, somebody's like, I'm sitting behind her right now. Like, don't talk. Like, <clears throat> I'm, I'm kidding. 
As a little kid, I was always so aware of that, like, oh, Lord, like, this is not good. But the truth is that there there are things in our life that when we do them, they fill a room with an aroma, don't they? Come on, somebody. Somebody's like, yes, they do. I'm not talking about passing gas. No. What I'm saying is that there are actual behaviors we do that change the atmosphere of the room we're in. What I'm saying is, Dad, when you come home from work and you've had a rough day and you spill your frustration out into the household, you may feel like you've been able, like, oh, I was just released. It was just a release valve is all it was. But what you did is you just set an atmosphere for your wife and for your children that is not what you ultimately desire. It creates a tension in the room when you do that. Uh, mom, when, when, you, when your child messes up and you're keen to let them know that, that they've made a mistake, I'm telling you, it creates an atmosphere in your room. It creates a, a, a presence and an environment in your home when, when, when you're quick to point out the flaws of children rather than pointing out the goodness that's inside of them, rather than encouraging them and lifting them up. I know I'm stepping on toes right now, but I'm just telling you this. Listen, be careful because the words you speak just casually over a child, to you, it was just a casual moment. You were stressed out and you justify it. But the truth is they will hear those words echoing in their ears for the next 60 years. I know grown men, successful grown men with low self-esteem because a neighbor walked up to him one day and said, you're nothing but white trash. Get out of my front yard. I'm just telling somebody today, your words actually do create environments. They create atmospheres. The words you speak create truth in people's lives. Creates chaos. And so there's these things we can do that create atmosphere. But the opposite of that is also true. In a room just like this, with dozens of people all coming together to worship God, it doesn't take everyone collectively connecting with God. All it takes is one or two people that say, I really don't care about the status quo. I don't care about what everybody else is doing. I need Jesus, and so I'm going to reach Jesus. Like, I'm going to pour my, my heart out to him right now. I'm, I'm going to, like, it just takes one person on a job, everybody else can be just 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 chaos and it's all crazy but one person says I'm going to bring the glory of God to my place of work and it will change the atmosphere just takes one person to go to that family gathering and say uh, we're going to pray before we eat. we're going to we're going to begin to do things different and it changes the aroma of the room and so this woman takes worth of oil and pours it on Jesus' feet in about 30 seconds. And the real question is, couldn't you have spread that $30,000 out over a period of time? Give us some residual benefits here. Can't we do something better with that than just pour it on the ground? And thankfully, the disciple's accountant recognizes this. 
The Bible says, but Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? And he said this not because he cared about the poor, (laughs) but because he was a thief. And having charge over the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. I'm thankful that as a church we have, we have a board of trustees that overlook all the finances. We've got, a, we've got a financial administrator that looks over all the finances. We have an outside CPA that looks over the finances. Like, I'm thankful nobody's able to do that here. Like, thank the Lord for checks and balances. Jesus, Jesus, we could have told you this. Like, we could have helped you with a better system than Judas. <laughs> like, but the truth is that's often our go-to, isn't it? We see somebody doing something for the Lord or, or doing something in their life that, that we wouldn't suggest. And our response is, I know how you can leverage your life better. I know how you can use your things better. See, what's going on is he, is he is observing money being spent in a way that he does not consent to. And so that is his big struggle. And so many of us want to serve God, but ultimately we want to serve him in an advisory role. I'll serve you, Jesus. I will save you from yourself. Because that's not the best way to spend the money. Can I say this? That the need for control is really the struggle between the difference of a worshiper and a thief. It's that need for control that that is the boundary mark between this girl who is worshiping Jesus with the most valuable thing she owns and a thief who is, is making it seem religious, but the truth is his heart is really stealing from God. Are you, um, are you willing to waste the things of your life so that you can honor God? Or would you rather tell God, I've got a better plan on how best to uh, use my Sunday morning, how best to use my times of conversation, how best to use my time of reading, whatever it might be. Am I, am I, am I somebody that's willing to pour out my time before God? Or am I somebody that's going to tell God, that actually prayer is not a beneficial use of my time. Lord, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. You can work through that. He can work through that. But the difference is, are you willing to waste things in your life for him? Jesus says, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you, have, you will always have with you, but you do not always have me. Jesus is telling them that there are some priorities that have to be adjusted in our lives. You're always going to have trouble. You're always going to find a need. There's always going to be a sickness. There's always going to be a, a thing, a, an agenda, something that has to be done. But there will not always be moments of encounter with Jesus. 
And so, yeah, you've got things to do. Yeah, you have a a to-do list. But the to-do list goes on pause when the presence of the Lord shows up. So Jesus is really teaching us this idea that, that when we waste things for God, it is actually viewed by God as worship. Like, Lord, I could actually, I could leverage this opportunity or this thing to accomplish more for you. And Jesus says, I actually don't want you to do that. I want you to waste it. Like, I'm glad that you have a 401k. I'm glad that you have investments. I'm glad that you have experienced God's favor in your life. I'm glad that you have a marriage that you're happy in. I'm glad for this building that we're worshiping in. But the truth is this. If Jesus isn't in those things, I don't want any of those things. I'm willing to waste all of those things so that he gets glory. Like, the chief end of our lives is he gets the glory, we get to enjoy his presence. He gets the glory, we just get to be at the feet of Jesus. It's not, the the problem is often in America, what, what we're searching for is the blessings of God rather than the one who provides the blessings. We're often searching after the favor of God rather than the one who who bestows favor. I'm just telling somebody today that all the things you accumulate, all the status you pile up in your life is meaningless at the feet of Jesus. What Jesus considers waste, our world considers worthy. And what Jesus considers worthy, our world often says, is waste. This woman is willing to waste what won't last because she has found what will last. I'm saying as Christians, as believers, as follow, you may not even call yourself a Christian, but if you're following Jesus, we have to come to a place where, where we're willing to just leverage the things we have as waste towards him so that we create margin in our lives. For instance... Some of you for the last 21 days have been fasting. Many of you have. And some of you are the kind of people that like to work out. But you made a decision that you would fast, and you, you, so you weren't eating like you normally would when you'd work out. And so really, as a, a, an exercise or a bodybuilder type person, you've wasted the last 21 days. You, you've wasted it. You, you're not getting bulked up. You're not getting trimmed down. You're just... And I'm saying that when we create those, those like some of you, you, you want, you're aspiring to be a social media influencer. And for the last 21 days, you got off social media and you're saying that's kind of a waste because my goal is to do something with social media. It, it's not a waste, it's creating margin. You guys you know what margin is? So margin, so we used to have these things called books. 
So books, books they had, uh, they'd take trees and they would like grind them down and make this paste in, and then they'd turn the paste into long film strips, and then they would bind all those strips together in like this, this collection of, it had words in it. It had, it had words in it. They had places that you could go to with a card and you could access any of these books you wanted. Kind of like, like, like Facebook, but bigger. And when you open a book, if you open a book, there, there's, there's words, but between the words and the outside of the book is called the margin. And the worst thing in the world is a book with no margin. Because people that like books know that the margin is for it's for writing. It's for you to, to be able to interact with the book. This is what God's wanting you to do. When we leverage things in our life to, that, that seem like waste to other people, we're creating margin in our life where God can write in some edits, write in some comments, be like, hey, this is the moment where, where I was with you, where I, where I joined you, where I lifted up your head. When, when you were struggling with depression and I came alongside you, this is, this is the moment where like nobody else sees it in this Bible verse, but it was in this moment where God transformed a life that was struggling with addiction. And so I'm going to write some things in the margins of your life. This is why your friends think it is wasteful of you to show up at church on a Sunday morning and, and, and go to church for an, an entire hour and a half. I don't even know if that's how long. But like, like that's wasteful. Don't you know you could clean your garage in that time? Don't you know you could do another load of dishes? Like, you could be more productive than you are right now. But you're choosing to be unproductive, to simply be in an environment where the presence of the Lord is. Why? Because when you waste these moments on a Sunday morning, it's actually not waste. To the world, it seems frivolous. But you understand the power of God that leads to salvation. There's, there's something special about somebody that says, like, it may seem wasteful to join a small group. That doesn't mean I've got better things to do in the middle of the week. I've, I've got sports activities. I've got, uh, I've got projects I can accomplish. I could do side jobs, but you would be somebody that says, no, I'm going to waste that opportunity to make a little extra money so I can be in the presence of God's people. And it's in that wastefulness that God reveals himself to our lives. We often want just enough of Jesus to feel comfortable, but I think what Jesus really wants from us is to say, no, I'm willing to waste moments that could be more useful to simply be in the presence of God. I'm willing to waste these moments. I'm willing to waste a few minutes every day to simply pray. But pastor, how, how is prayer wasteful? Because when I ask you if you pray, you tell me you don't have enough time. You, I don't have enough time, pastor. I don't have time to pray. You watch four hours of Netflix a night. Come on. You don't got time to pray. You can, you can, <laughs> hey. All you need is five minutes. All you need is an, uh, tw 
you know, two minutes. All, you just need a moment of prayer. Like, you don't have to be a, a, an hour of prayer, just a, just a moment of prayer. But pastor, don't you realize I could be brushing my teeth. You're asking me to pray. All I got time for is to pull my pants on, brush my teeth, get out the door. I'm saying maybe it would behoove you to pray while you brush your teeth. Maybe you'll be a little less effective, but you maybe waste some of that time brushing your teeth. But I'm telling you, what comes out of your mouth will be sweet. As the band would come, I, as, as a church, we are a group of people that says, I, I want to live my life in the aroma, in the atmosphere, in the environment of God's presence. That's what I want. And there are things in my life that I'm willing to pour out for him. The Apostle Paul says it like this, I want to pour my life out like a drink offering. He's saying, I want to pour my life into the ground for God. Some of you, you get what I'm saying. He's saying like one for the homies, but for God. That's, that's what I want my life to be like. Pour it out for him. So God, if, if you can use my conversations, I could probably be more strategic and I could probably be more effective with my conversations. But if you want to use them, I'm happy to pour them out for you. God, I, I could probably be more effective with my time than spending it with my friend that just keeps struggling to get over the lip of addiction. Like, there's, there's better things I could do with my life than being there for someone that just still struggles, keep hitting their head against a wall. But I'm saying in the kingdom of God, that's not how we think. We pour out our lives. We waste our lives because we believe there's a God that uses what the world might call waste to perform miraculous trans transformations in people's lives. That's what we're doing on a Sunday morning. You could be out snowboarding right now. You could be playing Clash of Clans right now. But you know what you're doing? You're wasting your time at the feet of Jesus. And anything you waste at the feet of Jesus is not a waste. Some of you said, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead a group this semester. I'm going to lead a Bible study in my house. And your friends are like, why, would you, why do you do that? Why do you give up an evening a week? Like, wh why would you do that? Because I'm going to waste my life for Jesus. God, if it's, if it's my time, I'm pour it at your feet. If it's my ability to think through things, I'm going to... I could, I could solve bigger problems in the world, but instead I'm going to waste it at your feet. If it's, if it's God, there's, there's better things I could do than, than serving children in a children's ministry, but if that's what you want from me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pour it out at your feet. Because anything we waste for him is actually not waste. Would you stand with me all across the room?
If you're wondering if it's worth it, my answer is it's worth it. It's not waste. Every prayer is not waste. Every moment in the presence of God is not wasted. Every dollar that you leverage for the kingdom of God or for the betterment of people around you is not wasted. Every time you go and apologize to someone you have offended, it's not a waste. Every time that you go and ask for forgiveness from someone else, it's not a waste. Every time you forgive someone that does not deserve it, it is not a waste. It's all value in the kingdom of God. And it's the kind of attitude that cultivates a place that Jesus shows up. Because at the end of the day, what the world sees as waste, Jesus sees as worship. And my Bible tells me that he lives, he inhabits, he sets up camp in worship. Lord Jesus, right now, God, as we step beyond these 21 days of prayer and fasting, Lord, we consecrate to you the things in our life that others may say are wasteful, but you say it's worthy. God, I pray right now for every single person that has made a decision, made a commitment to not just stop at 21 days and say, I'm done. Saying, I'm gonna waste some things in my life for Jesus. I'm gonna waste some time every morning in his word. To somebody else, it might not be fruitful, fruitful, but to you, Jesus, it's the most important part of your day. God, I, I pray that you would show us the blessing of wasting our time, wasting our abilities, wasting our resources for you. Because you are good. You are faithful. You never let us down. Right now, maybe there's somebody under the sound of my voice that for you, you're just thinking, I... I just want to be in the presence of God. I want my life to be marked by the fragrance of God's presence. I've been marked by a lot of other things, ambitions, seeking approval, appetite for things that I've collected. But I'm done with all of that. I want to be marked by the presence of God. If that's you today, everyone else isn't looking. They're not looking. Would you throw your hand up so I can see where you're at? You're ready to change direction. Come on. I'm ready to change direction, Jesus. It's good. I see that. This is the same step we always talk about. It's because it's not a one-time thing. 
It's just a posture towards God that says, I repent and I believe. Repent means we're going to turn away from those things in our life that we think, do, and say that we know don't please God. And we're going to believe in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Join me. If you raise your hands right now, join me in just repenting and believing. God, I'm sorry for the things in my life that I know don't please you. Would you forgive me? In fact, I'm turning away from those things right now to the best of my effort. I'm turning away, especially from the way I think about you. I believe that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again on the third day. And right now, I'm once again, I'm placing all of my faith and all of my hope in him. Say these words, Jesus, be the Lord of my life and I will follow you every day that I live. Come on, church family. There's some people that just made a big decision, planted a big stake in the ground, moving forward into the things of God. Church, let's be a people marked by the presence of God, marked by creating margin in our life, marked by wasting things like our time, like our conversation, so that God can use it. God bless you. Hey, I just want to say thank you again for tuning in to today's podcast. If you want to learn more about Celebration Church, I'd encourage you to go to our website, www thecelebration.church to find out more. Well, we love you guys and let's continue to love God, love people and change the world.